Good morning, Living Water. How's everybody doing today? Listen, I, uh, I, I'm okay. I have people asking, am I, I going to be all right? My, my team got throttled yesterday, but it's okay. And I'm glad um, that my joy and my sense of, I don't know, calmness doesn't come from a game that's played on TV. Amen. My peace, my joy comes from God, and so no matter what goes on around us, we know that we can come into God's house and worship Him and celebrate and just enjoy and fellowship with one another. So I'm glad that you're all here. Um, it's always good to be able to come into God's house and to share His Word. I'm going to ask you to turn to Hebrews chapter 5. Um, Hebrews chapter 5, we, we started a series, it's a five-week series a few weeks ago, we're on the kind of the tail end of it, called Greater Than. And the heart behind the series is, church, I want you to know Jesus on a whole nother level, right? Because the more you know him, and I, I mean not just surface stuff, but the more you know him, and the more you understand what he did for you through the gospel and what he taught, it just, it's just so much more significant to you, amen? It just means so much more. Um, I did a, a funeral service yesterday for an 81-year-old lady, a saint, and I, I've got to say that it was probably one of the most pleasant environments, and it was a funeral, right? But just a spirit of joy and celebration. We were singing together, and they started joining in. I was like, this is special, and it was refreshing, you know, to be at a funeral service, and we talk about our faith and how we know that to be absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord. In that moment, it was like we all knew that that was absolutely the case. It was like celebration. She's going to be with Jesus. I just love that. But I think the reason she was that way, going, you know, transitioning from here to eternity, and the reason the family could celebrate that way is because we know Jesus, and we understand the significance of what he's done for us. And that's my goal as a pastor, is we teach these, these sermons, these messages, because we want us to know truly who he is, because when you know who he is, it just changes everything, Right? If you come in here today and your surface level of understanding of Jesus, your perception is he was a good teacher, he was a good man, he did some cool stuff, then it probably doesn't mean a whole lot to you when you go through the storms of life especially. But when you know who he is and what he's done, it doesn't matter what you encounter in this life. It's just like, you know what, I know what I believe and I'm persuaded that he's got me and he's going to see me through this. Amen? What the enemy intended for evil, I know that God's going to work out for my good. So that's the God we're talking about, right? That's the Jesus that we want to lift up today. And so we began this series, Greater Than. In the first week, he talked about being greater. Jesus is greater than the prophets. God spoke in the past through the prophets. And now he's saying, Jesus is greater than them. And he gives the characteristics of who Jesus is. Chapter 1, chapter 2, he said, Jesus is greater than the angels. To the Jewish audience that he was speaking to, the angels were up there. Man, they thought it was God and the angels. And so now the writer of Hebrews is saying Jesus is greater than the angels as the son of God. But what about when he became flesh, right? Because surely as a human, the angels were greater than Jesus in that moment. No, Jesus was greater than the angels even as the son of man because of what Jesus accomplished, his mission. So he makes the case that Jesus is greater than the angels. And last week we looked at the case that he's making that Jesus is greater than Moses. Now Moses was a very significant leader in their history. They loved Moses, right? He was a great leader, led the children of Israel through the desert for 40 years, and they eventually go into the promised land. And the writer of Hebrews then makes the case that Jesus is even greater than that great leader, Moses. He leads them to a better rest, an eternal rest. And so now he sets his sights on their church, all right? Their system of worship. Now he's looking at their church. I could just see, uh, and just for context, remember, we're, we're looking at it from, from our perspective looking backwards. And most of us were probably raised in church, right? If we had any experience at all, it was in a New Testament church. 
Not these guys. These guys had the Old Testament church, if you will, the worship system, the, the sacrifices and all that that was very, very real and normal to them. And then Jesus comes along and does what Jesus does, and he dies, and he's buried, resurrected, and he ascends into heaven. And there are those that believe in him because of the miracles. They trust him, but now they're being persecuted, and they're tempted to go back to the old church. Okay? Are you following me? So they're tempted to go back to the old religious worship system. And so the writer of Hebrews writes this letter to them saying, hey, Jesus is greater than anything and anyone else. Right? Jesus is greater. And he's encouraging them to keep on in their faith no matter what they encounter. Like, you're, you're being persecuted, man, I know, but keep on to Jesus because Jesus is the answer and he's greater, right? So that's the heart behind this letter. And we're taking like a 30,000-foot view of Hebrews because when you go verse by verse, you can get lost in the weeds. And I want to understand the content and the heart of what he's trying to share with us. And that's what it's been for, for the first 10 chapters is Jesus is greater. And I've said all along, if you don't get anything else, please know that. Jesus is greater than any person that you can ever think of. And Jesus is greater than anything you could ever imagine. He is greater. Right? So, chapter 5, verse 1. Let's read the first um, 10 verses. Um, I will pray, and then we'll just dig into it. So, in chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Every high priest is a man chosen to represent other people in their decisions or their dealings with God. He presents their gifts to God and offers sacrifices for their sins. And he is able to deal gently with ignorant and wayward people because he himself is subject to the same weaknesses. That is why he must offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as theirs. And no one can become a high priest simply because he wants such an honor. He must be called by God for this work, just as Aaron was. That is why Christ did not honor himself by assuming he could become a high priest. No, he was chosen by God who said to him, You are my son, today I have become your father. And in another passage, God said to him, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. While Jesus was here on the earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. In this way, God qualified him, Jesus, as a high priest, excuse me, a perfect high priest and he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. And God designated him to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that in this moment right now, God, that you would just give us ears to hear, eyes to see what you might want to reveal to us through the scriptures. We trust you, we love you, and we thank you for just the revelation of Jesus. And my heart, Lord, is just to get to know Jesus more. Uh, Lord, and I want everybody here to just grow a little bit more in their knowledge of who Jesus is. Lord, we ask that that be done today and that you would just be honored in our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I will say this. There are some sermons that I get excited about, and it's easier for you to follow me because I'm passionate, I'm going. And there's some that are more in teaching, you know, kind of a, a, a teaching type of style. This is along those lines. And so, I'm going to ask you to really kind of listen in because we're covering four chapters from a bird's eye view, we're looking at Jesus is greater than the high priest. He's making that case. It covers four chapters. Don't worry. Not going to read it all. Uh, but I want us to get what he's trying to get us to see, that Jesus is greater than the high priest. And so let's start with the high priest. Put that picture up, please. There's a picture of a high priest in the Old Testament. I want you to know everything about that high priest, all the details, all the things that they wore, the way they did what they did. All of that was a prescription from the Old Testament. God, through Moses, told them exactly what the role of the high priest was 
and how he would dress. There's the 12 um, little uh, jewels on his chest that represents the 12 tribe of Israel. There are the bare feet because remember uh, Moses when he approached God, God said, take off your sandals for the place you're standing is holy ground and the holy priest in the presence of God, that's holy ground, so he's barefoot. You can't really tell from there, but those gold tassel-looking things on the bottom of the robe were gold bells. And that's actually not accurate because every other one was supposed to be a purple pomegranate. But anyways, they had this around the hem of their garment. And the idea was as that high priest was behind the veil of the Holy of Holies, which nobody could see, right? That's where God's at. Once a year, the high priest would go behind that veil, and they would hear the little bells ringing. And when they hear the bells ringing, although they couldn't see, they could hear that he was in there making intercession for them. He was the high priest doing what high priests do, right? So he's a very important figure in their system of worship. And now the writer of Hebrews is saying Jesus is greater than that, okay? So the role of the high priest, we read it in chapter 5, is he's a mediator. A mediator is someone who stands in between two parties. Maybe there's some opposition, right? They're against one another. And the mediator steps in and says, how can we reconcile this? In essence, that's what it is. We're talking about a holy God who can't look upon sin, and you got sinful Israel, right? And so the high priest is that mediator between God and man, and he's always making intercession. He's always offering sacrifices, offering their gifts to God. He is the high priest. He's the mediator. He knows how to deal with people gently because he's been there, done that, right? He can empathize with the people because he also struggles, Therefore, he also has to offer his own sacrifices for his own sins before he offers sacrifices on behalf of all the other people. And lastly, he must be called. He can't just wake up one day and go, you know what? It'd be cool if I was a high priest. He had to be called into that. So it was a very significant, important role. And the writer of Hebrews says, all right, Jesus is greater. Now, up to this point, he's been saying, Jesus is greater than the, the prophets. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses. Now he's greater than the high priests. So, all right. Tell us, how is Jesus greater than the high priest? And so that's what we're going to look at uh, over the next few moments. So look at chapter 7, and we go back to this weird name, Melchizedek. I'll just call him Mel, because that's cool, right? Mel, oh Mel. So the first thing, how is Jesus greater than Melchizedek, is, or than the high priest, is because he's in the order of Mel. He's in the order of Melchizedek. Who is this mysterious Melchizedek? Well, if you go back to Genesis chapter 14, this is a long way back with Abraham. Abraham comes back from the battle. In fact, he talks about it in chapter 7 here. He comes back from a battle, and he meets this king of Salem named Melchizedek, who's also a high priest or a priest of, of God. And so he says of Jesus that Jesus is in the order of Melchizedek. Verse 1, chapter 7. This Melchizedek was king of the Salem, or was king of the city of Salem and also a priest of the Most High God. When Abraham was returning home after winning a great battle against the kings, Melchizedek met him and blessed him. Then Abraham took a tenth of all that he had captured in battle, and he gave it to Melchizedek. The name Melchizedek means king of justice, and king, Sal king of Salem means king of peace. There is no record of his father or mother or any of his ancestors, no beginning or end to his life. He remains a priest forever, resembling the Son of God. I like that, resembling the Son of God. So the writer of Hebrews draws a straight line from Genesis 14, Melchizedek, all the way to Jesus. And he says, Jesus is greater than the high priest, than the priest in your system, because he goes all the way back to Melchizedek. He's in the order of Melchizedek. And there's similarities there, like he's the king of peace, he, the king of justice, terms that we hear about Jesus and his kingdom. 
Secondly, he's greater because his priesthood preceded the law. Think about it for a second. Melchizedek was in Genesis 14. The law did not come until Moses, right? Exodus, Leviticus, when he lays out all the law and all the rules. And from there is where the priesthood was born. Yet in Genesis 14, we hear about a priest that existed 430 years, in fact, before the law provided for the priest. And he said, what? Jesus, in the order of Melchizedek, he didn't come through the tribe of Levi, which they had to, but he came out of the order of Melchizedek. And so um, he preceded the law. I think it's also interesting that Abraham gave a tithe or a tenth of all of his spoils in that battle way before the law was written that said that he needed to give a tenth of his tithe in the battle. That's pretty cool. Interesting. Um, so he was a, his priesthood preceded the law. And then he's greater than the high priest because he's also like Melchizedek or Mel. He's eternal. Of Melchizedek, it says, he remains a priest forever, resembling the Son of God. Verse 8 says, um, Melchizedek is greater than they are because we are told that he lives on. And just a parallel to Jesus, we know that Jesus became a priest not by meeting the physical requirement of belonging to the tribe of Levi, but by the power of a life that cannot be destroyed. Jesus the eternal, perfect high priest, greater than the high priest. And so Jesus is greater because he comes from the order of Melchizedek. Now, I know that's like history lesson. You're like, I didn't care about none of that. But just suffice it to say that there's the system that they were used to. And you had to be a Levi. You had to come through that. And now Hebrews writer is saying that Jesus doesn't come from that. He comes from a greater source in the order of Melchizedek. Okay? Forget that part. So then he says Jesus is greater because he guarantees a better covenant. Look at chapter 7, verses 18 through 22. Yes, the old requirement about the priesthood was set aside because it was weak and useless. Now, keep in mind, he's talking to people who could probably look from where they're reading this at or hearing him speak and see a temple and see the old system. And this guy's just now saying that it was weak and useless. He says, for the law never made anything perfect, but now we can have confidence and a better hope through which we draw near to God. This new system was established with a solemn oath. Aaron's descendants became priests without such an oath, but there was an oath regarding Jesus, for God said to him, the Lord has taken an oath and will not break his vow. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus is the one who guarantees this better covenant with God. As I said a moment ago, we, from our perspective, we're a New Testament church, and I'm thankful for the new covenant of God. Amen? That we don't live according to the Old Testament, but we live according to the New Testament. It is a better covenant. Jesus is a greater priest because he guarantees a better covenant. Here's another one. Jesus is greater than the high priest because he is sinless. Look back at verse uh, 26. <clears throat> it says, he's the kind of high priest we need. Talking about Jesus. Because he is holy and blameless, unstained by sin. He's been set apart from sinners and has been given the highest place of honor in heaven. Unlike those other priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices every day. They did this for their own sins first and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus did this once for all when he offered himself as the sacrifice for the people's sins. The law appointed high priests who were limited by human weakness... But after the law was given, God appointed his son with an oath, and this son has been made the perfect, say perfect, he's the perfect high priest forever. But he's the sinless high priest, unlike the other priest who had to offer sacrifices on their behalf. 
Jesus is also greater because um, he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle versus the earthly tabernacle that they were used to seeing all this stuff going. Just keep in mind, if you were just an average Jewish person, I mean, even a, a very special person in that culture, um, there were just certain places in the temple you didn't go, right? And that, that temple had the, 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 the court of the Gentiles or the women. They had a Sanhedrin in there. But then there was the holy place, and there was this place called the Holy of Holies. And it was separated by this huge, thick curtain. And the only person once a year that went beyond that curtain into the very presence of God was the high priest. Okay? But what we need to realize is every bit of that in the Old Testament was according to a pattern that God gave Moses. He said, do everything according to this pattern. It was uh, the one on earth, but there is a real one in heaven. I don't know what that looks like, and it would be kind of crazy if God would open up the heavens and let us see it. We might go, wow, you know? But know that the temple that the priest uh, ministered in regularly was a, an earthly temple versus the heavenly temple that Jesus ministers in. Look at chapter 8. Verses 1 and 2. He says, here's the main point. I like that because sometimes we need to know the main point. He says, here's the main point. We have a high priest, Jesus, who sat down. Now, chapter 1, talked about him sitting down in the place of honor at the right hand of the Father. He sits down because his work is complete. It says, he sat down in the place of honor beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven. There he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle. The true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. That, that, the one that they're looking at was built by the human hands according to a pattern and a temple. And he says, oh, no, no, Jesus ministers in the heavenly one that wasn't built by human hands. How I many that's a better tabernacle? Chapter 9, verse 11 says, He has entered the greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, not made by human hands and not a part of this created world. I'll go on, verse 3, it says, And since every high priest is required to offer gifts and sacrifices, our high priest must make an offering too. If, we, uh, if he were on the earth, he would not even be a priest, since there already are priests who offer the gifts required by the law. They serve in a system of worship that is only a copy. Do you hear that? They serve in a system of worship. Hey, your system of worship, we're saying Jesus is greater. They serve in a system that is only a copy a shadow of the real one in heaven. For when Moses was getting ready to build the tabernacle, God gave him this warning, be sure that you make everything according to the pattern I have shown you here on the mountain. And so Jesus is greater because he ministers in a greater tabernacle. Jesus is greater than the high priest, right? He's making his case. So because Jesus is greater, the new covenant is better than the old, obsolete covenant. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm in the, the crowd listening to whoever wrote this letter, we don't know who wrote Hebrews, but whoever wrote it, making the case that Jesus is greater than the high priest and saying, in essence, that their system of worship was old and obsolete, I'd kind of get offended at that. I'd want to hang on to that, right? Don't let's talk about that way in the temple. The temple's a special place, but we know from history, just a few short years later, um, in A.D. 70, that temple was completely destroyed. It was gone. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, the covenant, the new covenant is better than the old, and the old one is obsolete. Look at chapter 8, uh, verses 6 and verse 13. It says, but now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God. So the, the new is better, the old is obsolete. Uh, verse 13, he says, when God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and will soon 
disappear. Again, I remind you of the destruction of the temple that would come shortly after that for those that were tempted to hang on to it. So he's making the case that Jesus is greater than their system of worship. He's greater than the high priest, right? And the new covenant is better than the old covenant. And so this helps me to make better sense of the warning back in chapter 6. There there are five warnings in Hebrews. And as I said before, he wants them to know that Jesus is above everyone and everything. And he wants to encourage them to remain faithful to Jesus in spite of persecution. Because they were tempted to leave Jesus and go back to an old system of worship. Now some will use Hebrews, and I was raised in this type of church, um, and they will try to say that you can lose your salvation. I'll just say this up front. I do believe in the eternal security of the believer. If you'll give me a chance to explain that, and, and in the future I'd be happy to, to give my case for that. Um, but I know that some will say, right here it says that it's impossible to get it back if you lose it. So what does he mean by that? Um, verse 4 of chapter 6, there's this warning. First off, he rebukes them for being spiritually dull. He says, man, I want to share so much about this with you, but you're not able to handle it yet. You're still on the milk, and you need to be able to digest the meat of the word. And we keep going over and over all these other things, and I want you to go on to maturity in Christ, right? And then he says here in verse 4, For it is impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened, those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come, and who then turn away from God, it is impossible to bring such people back to repentance. By rejecting the Son of God, they themselves are nailing him to the cross once again and holding him up to public shame. The question is, is this salvation? Is it repentance? Is it a change of heart, a change of mind? And so in that theology that I was raised in, there was always provided an opportunity to be saved over and over again. So for me, it looked like this. Hey, I was saved, but then I sinned. I said, hey, Shane, are you saved? I don't know. And I, I went forward and I prayed the prayer and I got saved again, I, over and over again, by the way. And there's always that opportunity afforded me um, in that teaching that I grew up in. Very few Christians believe, and there are some that do, but very few believe that once you, if you can and once you do lose salvation, you can never, ever, ever get it back for all of eternity. And so what is he talking about? And I think what helps us to... Again, if you jump down into the weeds, you can get lost in some of these verses. But if you look at the big picture, what's he been talking about? Jesus is, help me out, church. Okay, he's greater than everything. And he's greater than anything. And so for them, this word apostasy would mean to walk away from Jesus. Now, the way we see apostasy is I'm going to leave the church, I'm going to leave God, and I'm going to live like a heathen, right? I'm going to go back to the old stuff. I'm going to just live it up, man, and just live like the devil. Uh, That's what we see as apostasy. For them, they weren't going to do that. They weren't living lives of wickedness. They thought in their hearts that by leaving this new following of Jesus, they're going back to God. Remember the old system of worship? They thought, hey, we'll just go back to church. We'll just go back to our old system there, and we'll honor God there. And what the writer is saying, hey, there is no more old system. It's obsolete. It's been done. And so if you leave Jesus, you're in essence leaving God because this system was a shadow pointing to the reality that is Jesus. So don't leave Jesus. Amen? Jesus is greater than anything. And so he's saying, and, and he's not saying this. It looks like he's kind of conflicting his, his stories here because in one moment, one moment it looks like you might can lose it. And he says, dear friends, even though we're talking this way, we really don't believe it applies to you. We are confident that you are meant for better things that come with salvation. Right? For God is not unjust. So it's like he's talking, I'm just saying this because I'm afraid you're going to try to leave Jesus and go back to the old system, but I'm confident better things for you. 
Right? In chapter 10, he lays out the whole thing. Jesus is sacrificed once for all, the perfect sacrifice. And later he says he has, by that one sacrifice, forever made perfect. Forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Right? And so this warning then, I believe, is to a group of people who are tempted to go back to a system that is still there temporarily. It'll be destroyed in a few years, 70 AD. They're tempted to go away back to the old system, thinking they're going back to God. And the writer is simply saying, hey, listen, there's nothing else. That was all a shadow. That was a model. That was a pattern of the reality that is in Jesus. And so to go back there to an obsolete system is to abandon God because God's plan was in Jesus Christ. Amen? And so he's saying, go on to maturity in Christ. Just continue on. Even though it's hard, even though you're experiencing some pushback and persecution, keep being faithful to Jesus because Jesus is greater. He's greater. Amen? So, I think that's an encouragement to me because, again, you look at the big theme and he's just screaming, there's no one greater than Jesus. He's it. He's it. And there's no greater sacrifice. No one else is going to come out of heaven and do exactly what Jesus did again. So if you miss the boat, so to speak, with Jesus, there's not going to be a second chance coming after that. So Jesus is the one, right? There is no other name given under heaven by which man can be saved. It is Jesus and only Jesus. All right, so the beautiful thing is now, thinking about the high priest doing the mediation thing between two parties. Go back to that in your mind. So chapter 4, the very end of that, verses 14 through 16, it says, So then... Since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, greater than the high priest, we have this great high priest, that is Jesus, who entered in heaven, let us hold firmly to what we believe. Church, this world is crazy. And there are things that go on every day that make you go, oh my lands, this, can it get any weirder? Can it get any more off base? And we see it every day, don't we? And it would be tempting to just say, I, I throw my hands up, I give up, this is too hard, this is crazy, man. And he said, like, when you understand who Jesus is and what Jesus did, and he's greater, he's like, hey, man, hold firmly to what you believe. Hold on to Jesus, no matter what, because he's it. I think about jumping out of an airplane with a parachute, right? And, and you're going to experience a little turbulence, a little wind, it's going to be scary, your lips are doing this, you know. You might lose some dentures or something, you see those videos? But what am I doing when I jump out of an airplane with a parachute? I'm hanging on, folks. I don't want to be separated from that. Do you? Because it's what saves us, right? And I want to make sure I know that parachute. I want to know where the ripcord's at. I want to know how it works. If it doesn't deploy right, I want to know what the backup plan is. I mean, I want to know everything I can about this life-saving device. And that's the way I see Jesus, right? I want every one of us to know him so much. It's like, you know what? No matter what goes on around us, how scary it gets, I'm just holding even tighter to the one who made it all possible for me, the one who saves me in the end. It's all about Jesus. He's greater. So imagine yourself for just a second. Well, let me, let me go back to the verse. It said, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weakness. That's comforting to me. Because Jesus came and he walked on the earth, right? He lived. He was tempted like we were, but he didn't sin. He understands our weakness. <clears throat> it says, for he faced all the same testings that we do. Yet he did not sin. Verse 16, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. I have a problem with that verse. It's not because God's word says it. But I know me. And if God is that holy and that perfect, 
The idea that I could come boldly before a holy God is just mind-boggling to me. But the writer of Hebrews says, hey, listen, Jesus is the great, greater high priest who did all his work in the heavenly tabernacle, greater sacrifice, and because of his mediation, not yours, but his, you can boldly enter the throne of our gracious God. He says, there we will receive his mercy and will find grace to help us when we need it most. Isn't that awesome? You see what I'm talking about? Like, the more you get to know him, the more you get to know who he is and what he did, it just, it just means that much more to us. So just imagine for a moment you're in a courtroom. In the courtroom you get this, this judge, and he's a just judge, by the way. He's not one of those that kind of cuts corners or turns a blind eye to wickedness. I mean, like, just imagine there's a, a murderer, and you got all these witnesses there, and they got their cell phone evidence. I mean, like, guilty as the day is long, right? That's the way we stand before a holy and righteous judge. And if he lets us off the hook, he's not being a just God, right? Because if you're a just judge, you're going to hold people accountable for their sins or breaking the law. And the Bible says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All. Say all. All of us have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. Then he says the wages of sin is death. That's our condition, standing in front of a holy, righteous judge. Now let me ask you a question in that moment. Do you want to plead your own case on your own without the help of a mediator? <laughs> What's that going to look like? Well, Your Honor, I've attended church most of my life. Or, well, Your Honor, I, I give and I help people out. and I, I mean, I sing in the, the worship team at our church. Or, hey, my grandma was a Christian and my grandpa, my dad, my mom. doesn't matter. Do you want to stand before a holy, just, righteous judge and try to make your case that you deserve to be in his heaven? Uh-uh, not in a million years. Because the Bible says that my righteousness is like filthy rags compared to him. On my best day, y'all, it's not good enough. We need a mediator. Jesus is that mediator. Steps into the courtroom. He says, hey, listen, judge, father. Yeah, they're dirtbags. <laughs> They've done it all, and they deserve eternity in hell. But here's what I, I'm willing to do. I'm willing to take their punishment. I'll do it. If they'll just trust me, let me be their mediator. Let me represent them before you. I'll take their punishment on me. And that's exactly what Jesus did through the gospel. Isn't that great? Which sins? All of them. From our perspective, all of them are future anyways, right? And Jesus steps down onto the earth, takes the sins of the world upon him, paying the payment for the sins of all humanity, declaring that we are now, God looks at us through that filter of Jesus and says, all right, not guilty. And he doesn't say not guilty because of my good works, right? He, he doesn't say not guilty because of my church attendance or giving or my good looks or any of those things. He doesn't say it for any other reason other than the spilled blood of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. That's it. For by the grace of God, right, we're saved. Not works so that we can't brag about it. We're not going to get to heaven one day, kicking it with everybody and go, well, I'm here because I did whatever. It's not, it's not going to happen. When we make it to heaven, we're going to be there only because Jesus and what Jesus did for all of humanity. Isn't that good news? Jesus is greater. He's greater than anything. He's greater than anyone. He's the greater mediator who stands before a holy God and a sinful people, and he makes a way for each one of us to be made right with God. 
And it's so beautiful because he's like, all right, hey, I'm going to give you a top ten list. I mean, there's some other religions have all these little things you check off a list, right? You've got to travel to Mecca. You've got to pray face in a certain area. No, no, no. Whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him, put their faith and their trust in, would not perish but have everlasting life. That's good news, isn't it? The question is, is he your mediator? Do you trust in him for salvation? Are you trusting in anything else? Well, that's a dangerous place to be. What's the old hymn says? I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All of the ground is sinking sand. Amen? Jesus plus nothing. So Jesus is the originator of the new covenant and the high priest of that covenant, but he isn't a God who can't relate to human beings. He cares for people, and he wants us to approach God confidently. I love that picture. I struggle with that one, honestly. Approaching God with confidence, because I know me, and I know how often I fail. But then I think about a picture of a father and a son, and you may have a a son who just breaks your heart, disappoints you, maybe even makes you mad. You might want to wring their neck. You know, sometimes we do that as parents. But the reality is it's still your son, right? And you would hope that your son could still approach dad. And I, I just love that imagery. It's like he says we can approach his throne of grace boldly, not because of our good works, but because of what Jesus did as our high priest and mediator. We have access now. You, I'll remind you of the Old Testament tabernacle, the curtain that separated the holy of holies to all the regular common people. When Jesus was crucified, the world went dark, and the curtain for the first time was ripped from the top to the bottom, signifying that it was God's work separating that divisive thing right there that was for the whole system of worship was ripped open in that moment and everybody could see into the Holy of Holies. I believe that's a beautiful picture of the access now available to those who place faith in Jesus. He is the greater high priest, a greater mediator who mediates a better covenant. The question is, do you trust him? Do you believe him? And I'd say in addition to that, does it encourage you to get to know just a little bit more of who Jesus is and what he did? It does for me. And it matters because, like I said, this world's crazy and there will be seasons in life when you'll question things. But the more you know, it seems the firm, more firm that foundation is. And I don't know about you, but I, that's what I want to be, right? Like the Apostle Paul who says, I know whom I have believed in. I know it. And I'm persuaded, I'm convinced that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. That's confidence, amen? Available through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the good news about your son. Lord, I think that we could spend years just unpacking all that your word says about your son, getting to know who Jesus is and what Jesus did on our behalf. I I think we're just scratching the surface. I think if we truly could understand and, and, and unpack that in our own hearts and minds, it would change us. Lord, it would change the confidence that we have. He says, you can come boldly before the throne of grace. Lord, it would give us the ability to do that. God, I know that I'm yours, and I know that I've trusted in you for salvation, and it just brings a confidence to come before your throne of grace. Lord, it would change us. God, it was also when the accuser of the brethren is there on our shoulder telling us that we don't measure up. Lord, it changes even that, that we know where our hope is at. We know that it's not based on our works, our good works. There's not any good works that are good enough. We know it's only by your grace that we're saved. And Father, hopefully as we get to know you more and what you've done, it just challenges us to live in a way that reflects 
Lord, just how we perceive you, that you are holy, that you are awesome, that you are worthy of praise and worthy of us following you. God, that you would grow us more in our faith, not to be like the ones he rebuked in Hebrews chapter 6 that were just um, spiritually dull, just still drinking the milk, but Lord, that we could go on to deeper things and grow in our faith and mature uh, in our knowledge of Christ. God, thank you that Jesus is enough. Thank you that Jesus is greater. Lord, we love you, and we ask that you just help us to grab a hold of that, and Lord, as a result, we just give you honor and glory and praise. How You're so worthy. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.